Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. I don't usually like preaching a standalone sermon. I'm an expositor uh, because when you preach a sermon and you go topically, they always, what's his motive? What was he thinking when he thought of this message? And uh, so uh, I, I chose my sermon delicately this morning. And uh, I have preached already this morning, and it wasn't this sermon. Um, and we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke chapter 6, uh, we get into uh, several topics. And uh, so my motive for this sermon is that I'm at Luke chapter 6 over at the uh, nursing home. And so we're just taking the next uh, topic. But I like Matthew chapter 7 better. Uh, on this particular topic, and uh, so let's turn to Matthew chapter 7, and uh, let me read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 to you, and I'm going to answer the question today, does the, does the Bible teach us to judge not? And you can understand why I paraphrase this way, because it is slightly a, a controversial issue. And I want to give answers. One of my pet peeves is when somebody takes a verse out of context and begins to use it for something that it really doesn't say. And so I want to answer that today. John, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs that uh, what is holy and do not throw your pearls before the pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, Lord, your word is thorough. Your word is righteous. Your word is, is pure. Uh, and Father, I want to make sure this morning that we are taught by you. Uh, so Lord, I pray that you would uh, not allow me to chase any unnecessary rabbits uh, to say any unnecessary thing, uh, but Lord, it would just be an echo of your own words and that it would be in accordance with your truths. And Father, that would transform our lives. As you prayed, sanctify us in the truth. Thy word is true. And so Lord, accomplish your purpose in and through our lives today. You saved us to be conformed into your image. And so use your word today to, to conform us into your image and in your likeness. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so does the Bible teach us to judge not? I want to give you six reasons that the Bible does not teach judge not. The first one, the first question that I want to ask you is, um, can God sin or does God sin? We can look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 and James chapter 1 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 4 says, that Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, yet he was without sin. And so we serve a sinless Savior. In James chapter 1 and verse 13, it says uh, that God uh, neither 
is tempted, neither does he tempt. Uh, so he does not lead you into, into sin. And that's a little bit tricky that I'll say that for another day, but he doesn't, he doesn't tempt. He doesn't lead you. I don't know if you watch cartoons when you were little. I think it was Bugs Bunny uh, that rode that, uh, that uh, horse, and he kept that carrot out in front of his nose so that he would continue to go forward trying to get that carrot. Uh, God does not put sin in front of your nose with the hopes that you will keep reaching for it and keep striving uh, for it. He does not, uh, he does not uh, tempt you. Therefore, we can ask the question, if God has never sinned and he does not tempt then in the answering the question, did God say generally across the board that we are not to, not to judge? We'd have to ask ourselves then, if he doesn't tempt and he doesn't sin, then why did he put in our Bible a book called Judges? And why in that book does he raise up judges to judge Israel? Because that would be temptation or he would be responsible uh, for for that uh, that sin. So first, uh, from God's perspective, he cannot sin, and he did not sin. The second question that I want to uh, ask us is, does God contradict himself? Does God contradict himself? Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 16. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, now turn over to Matthew chapter 6. And we can look at verses 1 through 4 and following, but we'll just focus on 1 through 4. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be seen in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Is that a contradiction? Matthew chapter 16, 5, 16 says that we are to do our works before men so that others will see and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And this one says that when you give alms, do it secretly. Uh, well, there is a right way to do things in the eyes of men, and there is a wrong way to do in the eyes of men, and we have to make sure... Uh, that we stay within the tension of scriptures. So if, won't go to Romans chapter 10, verse 13, but if you're writing those down, write them down in the notes. And uh, we know that says that if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we will be saved. Well, if you turn to Matthew chapter 7, in verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so I had a friend in seminary, and he took that in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 literally. And when he went out to uh, knock on doors and to share the gospel, he, with all of his might, he would try to get somebody to profess Jesus Christ as Lord. And if they didn't do it, then it meant that they weren't, uh, that they weren't saved. Well, you go over here and it says there's going to be many in that day who are going to really believe that Jesus Christ was their Lord. And God's going to say, I know you not. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. So there is a correct way 
of saying and professing that Jesus Christ is Lord, but there's also a wrong way to profess Jesus Christ as Lord, and we must stay within those tensions in scriptures. Go with me to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, our passage for today, and it says, Judge not that ye be not judged. Now turn over with me to John chapter 7. We want to look at verse 24. says, do not judge by experiences, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, did Jesus just contradict himself from Matthew chapter 7, verse 1? No, there is a right way to judge, and there is a wrong way to judge, and we must stay within the tension in scriptures. Okay, so did God contradict himself? Third, did Paul sin? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. giving you a Bible drill this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we want to look at verses 3 through 5. Paul says, For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, so Paul, was Paul sinning? No, I don't think he was. I think he was exercising correct judgment in judging this particular uh, individual. If we say that uh, number four, if we say that, uh, that God says generally that there is no, uh, no judgment for anybody, that we are not to judge, does the church sin when we exercise church discipline? Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 18. Um, when somebody uh, moves forward, as a matter of fact, I had uh, uh, lunch with... Uh, Tim this week, and he brought y'all's uh, letter of membership, a big form that I have to, uh, to fill out, and uh, I'm willing to do that, and I'm excited about that. One of the reasons why I'm excited about this sermon is because I know y'all have your first elder, and I believe the Bible teaches that the uh, church should, be, should have elders, and uh, so I'm excited about watching how that's played out and being a part of that. Uh, but I, I received this application, and the reason is because as a body of Christ, when somebody gives a profession of faith, we are confirming their confession of, of faith, and we're saying, okay, as a body of Christ, we are receiving you as a brother and sister in Christ. When it comes to church discipline, we are also looking at that individual's life, and we are saying, listen, you know, you've been here several years, and uh, we... And we have seen a, a, a habit or a sin uh, that you're continuing to hold on to. And, uh, and, and a true believer would not hold on to that sin. And so we need, to, we need you to confess that sin and we need to, to, uh, to repent. It says that you're to go as an individual and then you're to take somebody else and then you take them before the church. And if they don't repent, we're saying... Because we have analyzed your, your walk, we know that we brought you in and we confirmed your confession, uh, but your walk is not in accordance with your confession, and you need to acknowledge that and to repent. If not, the Bible says that we need to 
make that aware by the church coming together collectively and saying your walk is not in accordance with your talk and therefore uh, we exercise church discipline and, uh, and turn that uh, individual over with the hopes that they would repent and come back. That's an important thing to mention right now when we're talking about judgment. Uh, Romans chapter 8 says, for now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so judgment is not condemnation. Judgment, judgment is the hopes of reconciliation and restoration. Uh, God's judgment, all of God's judgment today is restorative. It's not punitive. The only punitive judgment of God is going to be at the judgment seat of Christ when the unsaved are judged and they're in eternity for uh, forever, uh, in hell uh, forever. Until that time, all of our judgments should be restorative and punitive. There's no condemnation upon uh, individual. Okay, the next one is in uh, 1 Corinthians. This would be number 5. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, I, I want to ask the question, is Paul teaching us to sin by saying that, uh, that we should judge or that we are capable of judging? It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. It says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we believers are going to judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? In other words, if we're going to judge the whole world and there's a little problem in the church, uh, then, uh, then can't we handle these little cases amongst, our, amongst ourselves? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? We're going to judge angels one day? How much more than the matters pertaining uh, to this life? And so Paul is telling us different ways uh, that we uh, that we will that we will judge or that we uh, that we can judge. The fifth one we're going to turn back to Matthew chapter seven, and we're going to and we're going to start uh, going through uh, our text verse by verse. But for the last one, number five, I want to ask the question: Does Matthew chapter seven one through six really teach us not to judge? And I'm going to answer this question by asking you to think of the illustration. Does the illustration fit the command, judge not? In other words, what the, what the illustration says is, listen, why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye and there's a plank in your own? First, get the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter or the speck. Right Now, if, it was a, if Jesus was teaching judge not, period, then the illustration would say, Listen, don't worry about taking the speck out of somebody's eyes. You've got a plank in your own. So get the plank out of your own eye, period. And it wouldn't say, then you will see clearly to be able to take the splinter out of somebody else. So because of the illustration, it clearly doesn't say that we are not to judge. It's just that we have a correct way to judge. And I think Matthew 7 and in other places, God teaches us how to judge Correctly, and that's what I want to spend the remainder of our time on. <clears throat> so first, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, the initial warning concerning judging. The initial warning concerning judging. Does, judge not that ye be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. 
Okay, so I, I like to read it this way if I was to paraphrase. I would say, judge not. Warning. There's a reason why you're not to judge. And here's the reasons why. That you be not judge. For with what judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, I've heard this preached in two different ways. And I like them both. And so I'm going to use them both here. The first one is a horizontal principle. A horizontal principle. The second one is a vertical principle. The vertical one, of course, is more important, but I'm going to start with a horizontal. Judge not, lest you be judged, for what measure you use is going to be applied back to you. Now, this isn't a, this isn't, this isn't a principle where the way that you treat others, you're going to be treated. Right? Because... You have treated people a certain way and you didn't get the same response in return. Okay? <clears throat> However, what I think this is saying horizontally about other people, be careful before you judge. Because when you judge somebody else, you can be sure they're going to come back with something on you. And I've heard this over and over again. Okay? My wife says, honey, you did this and I think it was wrong. And my response is, but honey, I only did it because you did this, right? And that how it happens, right? You twist it around, you spin it to make yourself look like the righteous one, right? So it says, be careful. Listen, if there's anything in your life and you're going to go to somebody and point something out to him, you better bet that they're going to point your thing out, right? So you better make sure that that thing that they can point out in your life is, is made right before you go pointing to somebody else because it's going to be exposed, Right? Now, what I think that is really cautionary is that vertically, vertically, God is going to judge us in accordance with the measure that we judge other people. And that should terrify us. That should bring about great concern. That should bring about hesitancy before we go pointing at anybody else's. Listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen. God has forgiven every single person and has passed over every single sin and it is as far as the east is from the west. And so we better be very, very careful about what measure we go judging another person. The Bible says that if you don't forgive another person, what does God do? He doesn't forgive you. Right? It's a common principle throughout scriptures that we need to be very, very concerned about when it comes to pointing out somebody's fault. The other thing, well, we'll get to that in a moment. And so there's a horizontal principle here that we need to be concerned about. There is a vertical uh, principle here that we need to be really concerned about. Secondly, the initial prerequisite concerning judging. Verses 7, 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your, in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so the first one, or the second principle is the initial prerequisite concerning judging. John chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, judge with great tenderness and humility. From, previous, from the previous one, God is watching. 
God is watching your attitude and the way that you're going about judging other people. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 gives us, a, gives us a warning. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you you too be tempted. Okay, so there's a great warning that you could be tempted in the same way. You look at somebody else's life and, and, you know, there's certain sins that grip each individual. There's certain things that I struggle with that other people don't struggle with. There's certain life experiences that I have uh, that in some ways have, have dictated my response, uh, right? If you have children and uh, you're a single, and you're a single uh, mother and you have no money and there's no place to help, there's no place to get any help and, and you, your children are sick uh, and you go out and, and, and steal something. Well, stealing is wrong. It's clearly wrong. But you can understand why mother would be tempted like that. So why would we as a church come down so hard on an individual rather than going, hey, you know, why didn't you come to us for help? Why didn't you ask us first so that we could assist you? Right now, if you were in that same position, maybe you would be tempted in the same way. And that's the attitude that we need to have when we look at other person, another person is, what is their life experiences? What, what got them to this point where they felt they had the need to do this? rather than just come down on them because they broke God's, God's command, because they broke God's uh, word, because they've sinned, sinned against God. And so we need to go with a humble uh, attitude. We need to go with tenderness because we could be tempted uh, in the same way. Um, secondly, under the second point, judge yourself thoroughly and completely. Judge yourself thoroughly and completely. By the measure that you are willing to judge others, you should first judge yourself. You know why it says the plank in your eye and the splinter in the other? Because we really pass over a lot of our sins with ease. I mean, a lot of times we'll sin and we won't even think about it. We'll just go right on living. But when somebody else sins and we see it, then all of a sudden it's like a big issue, right? That's the way it was with the Pharisees. You know, they were all concerned about this outward appearance of things. And when anybody did something wrong, it was like, oh my God, you know, we need, to, we need to pounce on this person and make sure that he gets right. And that's not the attitude that we need to have. That's not the attitude. Uh, realize how quickly you pass over your sins. You are very lenient at forgiving yourself for your own sins. If you are not repenting and confessing and seeking holiness, then do not judge others. If you're not doing the work of repentance, if you're not mortifying your own flesh, then don't go into somebody else's life and try to get them to repent and mortify their flesh. You need to do the work of the repentance of repentance first. You need to make sure that you're walking in holiness before God before you confront another, another individual. When is the last time you called yourself to repentance? When is the last time you read the Bible and say, Oh God, I failed in that area. Please forgive me. If you haven't done that in a long, long time, don't come to church looking for somebody else that hadn't done that. You do the hard work of repentance. You do the work uh, in your own life. Get that plank out of your, that plank that is so easily seen that you pass over. 
before you go to someone else and hold them accountable for their sin. Third, uh, the initial need concerning judging, verses 6 and 7. It says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. The initial need is those who are spiritual are the ones that are prepared to judge. We just looked at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. You who are spiritual, uh, humble yourself, know that you can be tempted as well, and uh, you go to that person and, uh, and ask them to repent of that particular sin that they struggle with. Uh, we need to be concerned because the teacher will receive a stricter judgment. If you go and hold somebody else accountable for a particular sin, that shows that you know what is right and wrong. And if you know what is right and wrong, then you will be held account to that word. You will be held account, right? Teachers will have a stricter judgment. Brother Bob will have a stricter judgment than anybody in here. Uh, because he knows the word of God. Okay? And so we, we need to be uh, careful as, as, uh, as leaders. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says, The leader will give an account to God for those he leads. Right? Because you know, we are uh, uh, overseeing the, the church. We are overseeing your walk with Christ. And... Uh, and the church, is, is re, the church leadership is, is responsible for carrying out these, uh, these things. And, and when we do, um, we, should, we should be uh, reverent uh, in, our, in our attempt and uh, fear the Lord in the exercise of our, uh, of our leadership. Uh, leaders, uh, this is in Isaiah chapter 56, 10, if you want to turn there. But Israel was rebuked. Uh, because the leaders were like watchdogs who no longer barked. Right? What's the, what's the purpose? I just uh, my oldest daughter bought me a uh, German Shepherd for Christmas. He's six months now, seventy five pounds, um, and he's a pretty good watchdog so far. When somebody knocks on the door, he barks and he runs to the door. Uh, if he if, if I didn't if, if I wanted a good watchdog, and he didn't bark and he jumped up on everybody and licked them all the time. Uh, he wouldn't be a very good, very good watchdog, would he? Uh, well, God uses that illustration to to uh, to confront Israel and said, "Hey, all their leaders they don't even bark at sin anymore. They don't bark at trouble, right? Uh, it's responsible for the leader, and I think it is for the congregation to balance truth and grace. You know, Jesus came full of grace and truth, right? If you're too heavy on the truth, guess what? You're going to excommunicate everybody. You don't agree with the word of God. You don't understand the word of God. You're a new believer. You don't understand nothing. Get out of here. We only want people to understand the word of God. Right? You're going to be too heavy-handed. Grace, if you're too heavy on grace, you're going to be a dog that doesn't bark. You're going to be like, hey, come on in the church. We love everybody. Satan can walk in here and sit down, and we'll give him a hug and a pat on the back and say, come on in. Right? The Revelation talks about the apostate church. Listen, a true church can't go as apostate. Why was the church apostate? Because they accepted people into the church that weren't believers. And sooner or later, the whole church was filled with non-believers. And it was apostate. Because the true church, the true believers can't go apostate. So we're required as a church and as as leaders uh, to watch over the congregation. And to watch uh, for dangers. And when we see dangers, we're to bark at it like a watchdog. 
And, uh, and so the Bible clearly uh, says that, uh, that leaders need to be leaders and distinguishing these dangers within the, within the church. Uh, here it says in, in chapter 7, leaders must know the dogs and the swine. That's a hard word, and, and the dogs and the swine are people. Just using it as an illustration. Uh, using the word uh, to, uh, to interpret the word. There are several places. There's at least two places that I want to, want to call your attention to. Uh, uh, in Peter, uh, Peter says that, uh, that when a Christian uh, returns to a sin, he's like a dog that returns to its vomit. And that's a pretty bad picture. Um, but what is he returning to? He's returning to his sin. Uh, he's returning to, uh, to his worldliness. He came into the church. Now he's going back into the world. And he's starting to show signs of worldliness. He's returned to his vomit. And when he's eating the vomit, he's not getting sick. He's finding it pleasurable. Right? That's a good indication that that person probably is not saved. Uh, I was uh, preaching a sermon once, and I was driving uh, down to the church, and I was coming down Highway 21, and there was a dead carcass in the middle of the road, and there was a bunch of vultures there. And I drove by them, and they flew up in the air real quick, and they only went up so high, and after I passed, they landed back down. And I was like, man, that is, some, that is disgusting. How does those birds eat that? Well, it's accordance with their nature. It's accordance with their nature. I couldn't eat it. I would get deathly sick, right? That's the new believer with the new nature. When you return to that stuff because your nature has been changed, you should get sick. Sin should make you sick as a believer. You shouldn't find joy in it. You shouldn't find comfort in it. You should, it should make you sick. And if you're going back into the world and you're doing the things of the world and you're coming to church and you're not repenting of it, well, there's obviously something, something going on there. The other place that I found about pigs uh, is the prodigal son. Remember, the prodigal son went out and spent all of his inheritance on the world, and it ended up that he was down there in the, uh, down there in the pig pen eating with the pigs. Well, what is that a sign of? It's a sign of worldliness, right? And so both of these, the pig and the dog, are both uh, believers who have returned and went back into the world, and they need to repent, and they need to be restored uh, back to the church. Now, in closing, I want to make a case for embracing judging in the church. The plank is in your eye. Okay, the plank in your eye is seen by me as a splinter. The plank in my eye is seen by you as a, as, as a speck. The key thing here, I believe, is that you are seeing it better than I'm seeing it, right? You're seeing it better than I'm passing it over. I'm acting like it doesn't exist, but you're seeing it rather clearly. Now, think about a church that is concerned about being conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Think about a church who's concerned about striving for holiness and what a benefit that would be to a church that is seeking holiness and striving to be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. Where you can help me with my sin that I'm overlooking and not seeing. Think about the great benefit that would be. Secondly, if we are all seeking holiness and Christ-likeness, then we can embrace another person's examining of us and spurring us each other along to holiness. Spurring each other along to holiness. We must, we must judge righteously, and as Jesus said, judge righteously, not by the outward appearance of things, but we're judging the heart. And let me tell you something. 
That's the key. That's the key. If I came in here today not being part of this church and I started pointing fingers at everybody, guess what? You would not accept it. You would say, you know what? There's the door. Don't hit yourself when you go out. Because it's work. We have to be involved in each other's life. You have to know that I love you so much that I would not harm you in any way. That I have the best motive and I have the best reasons because I love Jesus so much that I want to see Jesus in you. Therefore, when I see certain areas in your life that doesn't look a lot like Jesus, I want to come to you with as much love as I possibly can and say, listen, I love Jesus. And I love Jesus when Jesus is in you. And this particular thing that is in your life is not really showing up as Jesus. And I just want you to, to, to recognize that and repent so that we can walk in holiness as the, as the body of Christ. Listen, it is, it is great work for us as a church to exercise judgment in a righteous way. It's going to require a great love relationship between each other to be able to trust each other in what they're saying so that it doesn't feel like condemnation. But we're actually trying to restore. We're actually trying to reconcile you to the body of Christ. And if you're not excommunicated or whatever, but you're just a part of the body of Christ, well, then we want you to see, become, we want to see you become as much like Jesus as we possibly can be, as we both are striving, uh, striving for holiness. So you can understand why some people say, judge not, don't be my judge, only Jesus is my judge. It's because we haven't built the relationship of love and we haven't been judging correctly because we haven't put in the hard work ahead of time. And so I hope that is helpful to you this Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Again, it's pure, it's holy, it's right, it's good, it's helpful, it corrects us, it trains us. Lord, we can be fully equipped for every good work, even the work of, of judging within the context of the body of Christ. Our Lord, bring this church together in a, in a great love for one another that we can actually go to another person and say, hey, there's just this area in your life that I'm concerned about. Uh, I'm concerned because it doesn't look like Jesus. It doesn't create holiness in your life, and I want what's best for you in this life. I want the transition from this world into the next world to be a smooth transition because you're working and striving towards holiness and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Father, create in this church, that kind of love, that even our examination of one another will be, will be helpful and received and accepted and embraced. Lord, we love you, and most importantly, Lord, we want to become just like you. And whatever help we need, whatever help we can receive from one another, Lord, let it be, because our number one concern is that your name would be exalted above all others. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.